Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. We have planned an incredible episode for you guys this evening. We are going to be looking at the mechanisms of how exactly brain works on a neurological, psychological, and physiological level in regards to creating the life that we want. The book we're going to be covering is called Inner Size, The New Science to Unlock Your Brain's Hidden Power. Written by John Osseroff, our guest for tonight. This is going to be a highly informative and entertaining show. It's usually pretty entertaining around here, right guys? So sit back, grab a drink. Relax and enjoy this conversation. The Human Experiences in Session. My name is Xavier Katana. My guest for tonight is Mr. John Osaroff. John Osaroff is a behavioral and mindset expert and New York Times bestselling author who helps people realize their potential for success by working with their brains rather than against them. John is the CEO and founder of Neurogym, a company that uses the latest technologies and scientific research to help you achieve the success that you want in life. John has built five multi-million dollar companies, wow, and has been featured in USA Today, Forbes, The Wall Street Journal. He's appeared on Larry King, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, and in The Secret Movie, and now The Human Experience. John, it is a pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time to be here. Welcome to HXP. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to be sharing some, hopefully some pearls of wisdom that people can start to apply in their lives right away. Yeah. I mean, you've got such an amazing story and I'd love to get into that. But I mean, briefly, why don't you just tell us who you are, what you do, please? Well, what I do now is uh, very, very different than what I did uh, during my career, and especially when I was younger. Uh, now I'm into brain research and designing and developing programs for people to be able to strengthen their mindset and their emotional resiliency. And that is for the sole purpose so that they can let go of what's in their way and they can start achieving more of their goals and dreams. Now, it didn't always start off that way. I went to school in Montreal, Canada. I hated it, left school in grade 11 and got into a lot of trouble with the law and did a lot of uh, unethical things, unprofessional things. And my life changed in one minute when I answered one question that was asked to me by a man that I had never met before, 
but my brother had arranged for me to have lunch with him. And at the time, I was working in a shipping department of a computer company making like two bucks an hour, something like that. And I was miserable selling drugs on the side to make more money so I could have fun. Hmm. And I went to Mon uh, from Montreal, Canada to Toronto, Canada to see my brother and this gentleman for lunch. I took the train. And at lunch, this man said to me, he said, like, what goals do you have for your life? And I said, well, I, I, you know, I just my goal is to make enough money this week to be able to, you know, buy a little bit of food, you know, have a little bit of fun with my friends. And um, that's about it. That's my goal. He said, well, what goal do you have for, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? And I said to him, his name was Mr. Alan Brown. I said, I never even thought about it. Mm -hmm. I'm just living day to day, paycheck to paycheck, just trying to make ends meet. And, and you know, and, and that, that was it. And so he gave me these documents and he called them his goal setting documents. And um, it asked questions like, what age do you want to retire by? How much net worth do you want to have? Where do you want to travel? What kind of car do you want? What kind of home do you want? And it was broken up into different categories for health, wealth, relationships, career, business, fun, experiences, charity. Hmm. And I had never, ever thought of those things. I was 19 years old at the time. And so I wrote down, you know, a bunch of, for the most part, bullshit of what I wanted to achieve because I was just using imagination and, and dreaming based on what I've seen on television. Right. And when I, when I gave him the documents, he said, this is actually pretty good. He said, you've got a lot of big goals and dreams. And then he asked me the question that changed my life. And he said to me, he says, he said, John, he says, are you interested in achieving these goals? Or are you committed? And I looked up at him and I said, well, what do you mean, Mr. Brown? He says, well, if you're interested, you're going to do what's easy and what's convenient. He says, if you're interested, you're going to use the story that you only went to grade 11 in high school, that you're getting into trouble with the law, that your father went to uh, grade five, your mother went to grade three, and all the other stories and excuses you've been telling me as to why you're doing what you're doing, why you're getting the results you're getting. Mm -hmm. He says, if you're committed, however, you will let go of all of your stories and excuses. You will stop fucking around, he says, and you'll develop the beliefs, the knowledge, the skills, and the habits required to achieve every one of those goals. And he went on to say, I've achieved way more than every one of those goals that you have there. And I can tell you, they're doable. So are you interested or are you committed? And so I looked at him and I said, well, I guess I guess I'm committed. He says, good. And the first thing I'd like you to do is accept my offer to be your mentor. And I go, excuse me, he says, accept my offer to be your mentor. I says, oh, OK, great. I accept. And he shook my hand. He says, great. The next thing I want you to do is go back to Montreal and move here to Toronto. Mm hmm. I said, move to Toronto. I don't know anybody here. I don't have any money. I don't have an apartment. I don't have a car. He says, are you interested or are you committed? I said, well, I'm committed, but, but he says, there's no buts when you're committed. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll move to Toronto. And he says, great. He says, the next thing I want you to do is I want you to enroll in the real estate class that starts on May the 5th. This was April of 1980, just to give people perspective. Hmm. And he said, I want you to enroll in the real estate course that starts on May 5th. And I go, real estate course, I don't have any money to, to go to, to, to go to the real estate course. I hate school. I didn't do well. They kicked me out. I, you know, I, I left in grade 11. He says, are you interested or are you committed? He says, he says you got to stop this way of behaving. I said, but I don't have any money to enroll in real estate school. He says, well, make the commitment first. You'll figure out how to get the money. 
So I said, fine, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And so long story short, after I said I was committed, after he said he'll mentor me, after I said I'll move to, to Toronto from Montreal, not knowing a soul, after I didn't have money, I figured out how to get the money. I moved from, Toronto, from Montreal to Toronto. My brother let me stay with him. And I enrolled in real estate school May 5th, 1980. I took classes from nine to five every day for five weeks. And I remember this like it was yesterday for one simple reason. On June 20th, 1980, I passed my real estate test. Mm -hmm. And the reason I remember is because it was the first time in years I didn't cheat to pass a test. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was the beginning of understanding the difference between commitment and interest. And then he started to train me, to teach me, to mentor me every day. He had me working to upgrade my knowledge and my skills. Mm -hmm. And I made $30,000 my first year working with him. And to put into perspective, my father, who was a cab driver, made $25,000. And then he kept upgrading my knowledge and my skills and my resolve and my habits. And I made $151,000 when I was 20 years old. And that was the beginning of my life's transformation, is understanding the power of a decision backed by action. Hmm. I mean, wow, that's such an incredible you know, sort of origin story, you know, with this, this person, Alan, that decided to take you under his wing and, and mentor you, you know, and, and give you that sort of direction that's so crucial. And and at such a young age, too, you were 19. So I mean, it it could have gone either way for you, right? Well, uh, the answer is yes, because I was either on my way to jail or the morgue. Um, one of my friends had already died. Another one was already in jail. We were part of a little street gang that, as I mentioned before, did things that, you know, got us into quite a bit of trouble. And so if I, if I imagine where I was heading, it really wasn't to a good place. And I was picking up speed because I was getting a little bit older. And so it was getting very, very, very dangerous. And fortunately for me, uh, my brother introduced me to this man and I accepted his offer to be mentored by him and to, to get help. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, I, I've got Intersize here in my hand and I read it last night and, you know, I've underlined it. I've, I just ripped through it. And there, there's something at the very beginning of the book that you mentioned that, that I want to cover for sure. You know, you, in the intro, we talked about how, you know, you've built these highly successful companies, five of them. And, you know, in the book, you mentioned that the material success was, you know, uh, there there was a reality to that. It, it wasn't everything. It, there was a hell to sort of pay for that. I mean, can you talk about more about, you know, what that that immediate material success led to for your life? Uh, yeah, uh, it almost killed me. Um, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. Uh, you know, I had money and and I overindulged in things. I worked so many hours when I was younger. My my family had enough money for a roof over our head and food on the table, but not enough for more. And I always felt less than other kids. I didn't feel as smart as other kids. I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel worthy enough. I didn't feel smart enough. And so once I started making some money, uh, I started 
uh, indulging and abusing my physical body. And, you know, I ended up with severe ulcerative colitis when I was 22 years old. I uh, ended up, you know, drinking way too much alcohol um, and, and, and just really burning the candles on, on all ends of the spectrum. Wow. Um, I, I was divorced twice. I've been with my wife, Maria, now for 20 years. Um, and, and, you know, I've got two amazing kids. But for many years there, it was, it was just a life of excess. And I, did, I didn't know how to handle the success and it, 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 parts of it were great, uh, but other parts of it were very, very challenging. Nobody had ever taught me the skill of managing money, the skill of investing, the skill of protecting, the skill of using debt properly. Uh, I was taught how to make a lot of money, um, but it, it really affected who I was and who I became mm -hmm. until I was able to uh, really get some, and again, I, I'm just been a student of of learning and 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 trying to learn as much as I can from other people's research, other people's experiences, the the ones that they they love and and are constructive ones, and also the amount of you know lessons you can learn from the destructive results that either you get or somebody else has had. And so I've just been a voracious student for many many years. And sometimes you have to hit rock bottom in, in order to climb back up. And although I never hit total rock bottom, I was getting pretty close. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting story. A, a really, you know, resounding that you've gone through these highs and lows. And, and we're going to get into inner size. But sure. you know, what, what do you think, you know, it was for you back then? Do you think it was a lack of discipline? Do you think it was... Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a little bit, but I mean, what was, what do you think was the weakest point for you through that period? Uh, without question, my self-image. I was very, very disciplined. And one of the things I talk about in the book and, and I teach is every human being is 100% disciplined. And a lot of people say, I don't have discipline. Yes, you do. You are 100% disciplined to your thoughts, to your emotions, to your behaviors, to your existing results. Now, you may not like them, but don't confuse them that you are disciplined to either take action or not take action, to waste time or not waste time. That is a discipline. A lot of people think that disciplines are only positive disciplines, and they're not. You can have disempowering disciplines. You are disciplined to watch TV for three or four or five hours a night. Hmm. You're disciplined to start a book and not finish it. You're disciplined whatever behaviors... Um, that are a combination of your thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations, behaviors, and results that you have, you are 100% disciplined to achieve that. Mm -hmm. And the key, and one of the reasons I wrote this new book about the brain and about really taking control of it, is we have to learn how to change using the latest brain research to make change easier. Not easy, because it's not easy. Mm -hmm. But there are ways to make it easier when you understand a little bit about uh, the different circuits in the brain that, that turn on or off as a result of uh, either external or internal cues, then you could be much more proactive in changing your thoughts or emotions or behaviors. And that is really what I wanted to share 
you can have the best laid plans in the world, the greatest desires, goals, and dreams in the world. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know how to manage and master your own inner game, you will never achieve those goals. For sure. For sure. So, okay, let's get into it. So inner size, you know, you, you talk about the way that our brains have evolved and you talk about, uh, you know, namely setting versus achieving goals. And it, it, there's, there's something, you know, a difference between how we set and how we achieve those goals. And then you, you relate that to the two different priorities of our brain and how that might be sort of interfering with our attempts at success. So what are the two routes to, to this? And tell us about sure. this. So everybody, if I can have everybody who's listening to us right now, just imagine that you're part of a band or, or you know, an orchestra, whichever you prefer, your favorite band or an orchestra. There's um, somebody who plays, let's say, the guitar, somebody who plays the piano, somebody may play the trumpet and the piano. So let's say there's four members of the group. What we know about the brain is that there are different parts of the brain that are responsible for different aspects of whether it's emotions, whether it's behavior, whether it's motivation, whether it's happiness or sadness, there's different parts to our brain. And so we know that there's a part of our brain called the left prefrontal cortex, or what I prefer to call is the Albert Einstein part of our brain. It's over your left eye, behind your skull. It's the LFP, left prefrontal cortex. And this part of your brain's responsibility is to imagine what you would love to have, to choose this or that, and to come up with all the reasons why you want it. So it is responsible for that. That's Albert Einstein. Mm -hmm. Now, there's another part of your brain that I call is Frankenstein. And Frankenstein, as soon as Albert Einstein has all of these great ideas, Frankenstein's responsibility is to go into your memory bank and say, okay, hey, Every time you have thought about this or every time you've read about this or have seen this, you know, what could go wrong? What what pain looms, you know, just in front of you? Like, could you get physically hurt? Could you get emotionally hurt? Could you get financially hurt? Could you get spiritually hurt? Mm -hmm. And so Frankenstein brings up almost in nanoseconds, all the reasons why you shouldn't go ahead. So imagine Albert Einstein's got his foot on the gas, but Frankenstein's got his foot on the brake, <laughs> and you want to achieve these goals. And you're wondering, why the F am I not taking action? Why am I procrastinating? Mm -hmm. And the answer is because you haven't gotten Frankenstein to set aside to allow Albert Einstein and the motor cortex and the motivational center of your brain to activate the behavior necessary in order to achieve that goal. And then even when you do think of doing that and you move Frankenstein over to the side, another part of your brain says, hey, but what happens if you do this and you fail? then will you be embarrassed? Will you be ashamed? Will you be ridiculed? Will you be judged by your sibling, mother, brother, sister, coworker? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as soon as the fear center activates, then you go, oh, you know what? Maybe I should just go get an ice cream or watch Netflix show that I really want. Let me, let me be safe there. Right. And so there's several different parts of our brain that we know will work for us and others that activate to protect us. 
And so when we understand the hierarchy of the brain, the evolution of this organism, your brain is not an organ. It's a living, breathing, developing organism. And what I mean by that is this. Number one for this organism is safety above all else. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Right. So if there is anything that you're thinking of doing or want to do and there's any type of potential or real danger, brakes go on. Stress levels go up. And so safety first. Second is energy conservation. So if what you want to do requires additional energy that is different than your habitual way of being, Breaks go on again because your brain doesn't want to use this energy. So you have to override the fear center or stress center. You have to override this energy conservation center. And the way you do that is now you bring online the emotional center, the limbic part of our brain, which is the second part of our brain to develop. And you go, okay, yes, I know that there is some potential danger. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know that's going to require energy. And then when you ask yourself, why must I achieve this? Like, why must I? Like, what will happen to me if I don't? Who will I become if I don't? What will I feel if I don't? What if I don't give this my best shot? So you can use negative consequences of not taking action. And then you can shift your emotion and go, okay, now when I do take action, and I, uh, I grow, I become more, I learn, I evolve, I achieve some successes, then is that what I want? And when the answer is yes, 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 then we start to override this protective mechanism in our brain. And the motor cortex starts to rev up its engines and the nucleus accumbens and, and insulin in the brain, the dopamine, feel-good neurochemicals activate and then we get a little burst of adrenaline with dopamine and we start taking action. Then, holy shit, it's exciting. It's scary at the same time. But now we're in action hmm. doing the thing that scares us, doing the thing that maybe is a little bit risky. But to do all of this, you have to use the, the one key that every human has access to but very few practice. And that's awareness is awareness of my thoughts, awareness of my results and what causes them, awareness of my emotions that are triggering these feelings that I don't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. And when we become aware of thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations, and behaviors or lack of behavior, then we can shift, and I call that, anyway, uh, then we can shift into what is it that I really, really want to do? Do I wanna retreat into safety? Do I wanna procrastinate? Do I wanna be afraid my whole life? Mm -hmm. Or do I wanna step into my potential and my greatness and my abilities? And almost every person says, I want to do the latter. I want to step into my greatness. Can you show me how? And then we can say, great, of course we can show you how. Because every single result that every person that's listening to right now wants to achieve, somebody's already done it. So the how-to is the least of your problems. Interesting. Yeah, I love the way that you spelled that out. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. But, (laughs) you know, from what I understand, it's it's almost as if your brain is wired to keep you in the sense of 
a comfortable place. You know, it's it's a defense mechanism, it's a survival mechanism, and that's how we are wired. So, you know, when that's we exactly right. when we put ourselves into this place of risk or into this place of something new, when we're 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 moving outside of our comfort zone, it becomes like this sort of trigger, you know, it triggers this fear and it, that is a wall that we just sort of slam into. So, you know, using my analogy, how do we get past, how do we train our brains to sort of see that wall, understand that wall and get, then get past it? Sure. So the first inner size that I teach in the book has um, a lot to do with the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system in the brain. So when we're under stress and our brain identifies stress as any time we're out of our comfort zone. So just to give people a visual, imagine that you're the room that you're in or the car that you're in while you're listening. Uh, there's a, a temperature setting for whatever you set it at, 70 degrees, 68 degrees, 72 degrees or 22 degrees Celsius, depending on where you are in the world. Let's say you have it at a certain setting. That's the comfort zone that is set. Anytime there's a deviation, if there's hot air or cold air that comes into that room or environment, the electrical system, okay, sends a signal. It's called a cybernetic mechanism. There's a, there's, there's a signal that is sent to the nervous system to either turn on the air or turn on the heat because the comfort zone has been um, 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 penetrated. And so whenever we step out of our comfort zone, our signal goes off as well, like a light on a dashboard of a car. Our signal just goes off, and it goes off in the way that most people aren't used to dealing with, and that is in the form of a feeling. So when our signal goes off, we'll usually feel a little bit anxious. Epinephrine, cortisol, or norepinephrine has been released into the bloodstream as a signal that you are out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. It could be financial comfort zone, emotional comfort zone. It could be a guy wanting to act a girl to you have a drink with him at a bar or, or vice versa for a girl to a guy or a guy to a guy and girl to a girl, of course. <laughs> so anytime we're in our out of our comfort zone, this automatic release of neurochemicals is sent through our bodies. Now, the average person tries to suppress them or distract themselves from these feelings. Right. Runaway, as opposed yeah. to that they run away. So um, inner size number one is to calm the circuit from the sympathetic nervous system, the stress and reactive circuit in the brain to the calm and respond circuit in the brain. So the greatest gift we have is awareness. And awareness gives us choice. But most people have not practiced their awareness skill. But they know how they feel. So the first lesson that I teach people, the first inner size, is if you just stopped and took six deep breaths in through your nose slowly and then out through your mouth as if you're blowing through a straw for six, seven, eight seconds, really, really slowly, just six breaths deactivates that stress reactive center in your brain. So that is step one. So why don't, step we, do, why don't we do that right now? Let's do it. Everybody. All right. Yeah. How about every, yeah, please. Everyone that's listening, why don't you, you know, participate and we can do yeah. that right now. Perfect. So it doesn't matter if you're driving or you're just sitting at your desk, stop whatever you're doing, except driving, right? And take a deep breath slowly in through your nose. Your eyes can be open. It's perfect or closed. 
And then as you're breathing it out through your mouth, gently, gently, gently pucker your lips like you're blowing it out through a straw and just focus on the airflow going out of your lips. And then breathe in again. And then out slowly, 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 and just feel how calm you're getting. And let's do that two more times. Breathe in through your nose. And out through your mouth at your own pace. The slower, the better. And the more focus you can have on the inflow coming in through your nose and the outflow going through your mouth as if you're blowing out through a straw, the quicker you deactivate the stress and reactive state. So what happens is when we are stressed out or fearful or worried or anxious or in panic, Mm -hmm. the first thing we want to do is deactivate the stress center because it shuts down the thinking center of the brain. We can see in fMRI studies, functional magnetic resonance imaging studies, blood flow leaving the thinking, imagination, genius part of your brain away from there to the stress centers of your brain. So the first thing we want to do is let's get calm so we can choose and respond. So in this calm, relaxed state, you bring on that Einstein part of your brain back online. Mm -hmm. And then if you do inner size number two, it's called AYA, A-I-A. And AYA stands for awareness. Awareness of what are my thoughts, feelings, sensations, and what have my behaviors been or what are my behaviors right now? Mm -hmm. And Is this what I want? Are these thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensations, behaviors going to move me towards the goals that I want to achieve or away from them? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to be recreating the exact same goals as I have for the last month, three months, six months, 12 months? Or am I focusing on the new goals that I want? And when you're doing this inner size of awareness, you must, and I repeat, you must do it without judgment blame, shame, guilt, or justification. No judgment, blame, shame, guilt, or justification. Just pure awareness, because what we're actually experiencing is history. We're looking at what happened before we were aware. And that gives us an insight to the I, because the I in Aya is, now what's my intention now that I am aware? Well, my intention is to be happy. My intention is to be refocused on my goals. My intention is to take action and go and ask that girl, you know, uh, if she'd like to chat a little bit. My intention is to leave my job and find uh, one that I love. My intention is to start this business. My intention is to write this book. My intention is to finish this paper. My intention is fill in the blank. And then The only thing you need to do next, which is the third A, or the second A in AIA, AIA, is what is one small, easy step you can take towards that intention? Not what's five steps, not 10, not three, one. And the reason we want to do one is we don't want to reactivate the fear or emotional center in our brain that may cause us to revert back to our comfort zone. What we want to do is start to become more aware. 
we want to start setting our intentions deliberately, and then we want to develop the habit of taking the actions we know will help us achieve our goals deliberately so that we develop this new habitual pattern of being in control. Mm -hmm. And what happens is when you develop this neuro muscle of self-confidence, of awareness, of intention, and of behavior, then you are able to achieve every goal that you want to achieve. Okay. Okay. So John, let's, let's rewind a little bit, you know, and I'm, I'm getting sure. some feedback about the exercise and, and one of the questions and something that I'm wondering as well, you know, like when you're in that panic state, it's sometimes difficult to really slow down because everything seems like it's moving so fast. It's, it's sure. difficult sometimes to remember to just, you know, stop and breathe. It's something that simple. You know, so how can we kind of train ourselves to be better uh, at, at, you know, in the moment? While great, that, great that... question. Great question. So I want you to imagine that um, you want to become a Navy SEAL. Just pretend for just a moment you want to become a Navy SEAL. Well, sure, you have to have the physical stamina and abilities. Of course you do. But you also have to have the emotional and the mental abilities too, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what if I shared with everybody that's listening right now that awareness is a skill you can get better at? Managing your emotions are skills you can get better at. Focusing your mindset is a skill you can get better at. And the reason I'm using the Navy SEALs as an example is many years ago when uh, the Navy SEALs were putting people through the Navy SEAL training, there was one part of the training that most Navy SEALs failed. And that was their final test when they went underwater, fully geared up with all of their scuba equipment with three instructors who shut off their air, played with their mask, pulled their uh, BC unit off of them if they could, took the regulators out of their mouth. And basically what happens in a state of panic, you just bolt right up to the top of the water. Sure. And as a Navy SEAL or an astronaut or a firefighter or a police officer, you can't do that because not only will you die, but other people may die. And what they realized was that when they panicked, most people will divert back to their training. So they trained these Navy SEALs before their final test on how to have mental and emotional control so that when they felt this incredible surge to panic and bolt up to the top of the surface, they would actually start to breathe and calm themselves down. Now, they started to practice this every day. They started to practice a little bit of breathing and awareness every hour for two or three or four minutes. They used mental contrasting, a technique that we teach in our book, Inner Size, where you can actually put yourself in the most stressful situations in your mind, feel the surge of that cortisol and epinephrine and norepinephrine, and then calm yourself down. And if you just took three minutes or two minutes every hour to practice, mm -hmm. And to become more aware, you would build this neuromuscle of awareness. You would build this neuromuscle of control. You'd build this neuromuscle of focus. You'd build this neuromuscle of confidence. And then you'd be able to do it for yourself. Now, 
I'll share a story with you that may help. Sure. Um, my, my, my wife just had her, unfortunately, second back surgery um, in six months, six weeks ago. And there was a complication when they did one of the procedures. And about 30 days ago, after the, uh, the third surgery was done, she had to have two surgeries in one. Um, she panicked here at the house. And I was in a meeting in my home office with somebody. She says, hey, honey, can you come upstairs? Um, I need to talk to you. I said, uh, sweetheart, can it wait? She goes, no, honey, I need to go to the hospital right now. And when I walked upstairs, her eyeballs looked like they were coming out of her head. Oh. And she says, I need to go to the hospital right now. I said, okay, great. Do you trust me? She goes, yes. And look straight into my eyes and breathe with me just six breaths and then I'll talk to you. She goes, okay. So we did the six breaths. She went from a level 10 panic, take me to the hospital right now, down to an eight, seven, six, five. At five, I said, what's going on? She told me that she couldn't feel her left leg. She thought that maybe her she had a blood clot. I said, great, let's do another six breaths. We did that. By the time we got to three and two, she was calm enough for us to call the doctor who did the surgery. Mm. And why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because first you learn how to do it for yourself and you can do it with others. This is all about emotional control. We don't get into a panic state unless our brain has run away with what if questions and loops. So what if I have a blood clot? What if I die? What if I get into an accident? What if I fall? What if I break my leg? What if I lose this? We don't get into panic before we're in a state of anxiety. So when we're in a state of anxiety, we can become aware of our feelings, mm. but you have to practice becoming aware of these feelings. The only thing that a feeling tells us is that our emotional center has released a chemical. So we can have feelings of happiness, sadness, shame, guilt, fear. All it tells us is there is a neurochemical reaction that's happened. Some of it I love, Others, I just don't like this feeling. And left unchecked, it exacerbates from anxiety to, to panic. panic. Right. And so panic doesn't go from zero. I mean, listen, if you are on an airplane, like just happened a few days ago on one of the Delta flights and it dropped 30,000 feet in less than six minutes, you are going into panic unless you're the pilot who's been trained under those circumstances. Okay. Okay. So, so, you know, the way that I was imagining this was kind of being at the gym, you know, like you're, you're not instantly going and lifting heavy weights. You're slowly building up to that point. Correct. And so, so to me, you know, it's like before you get into that state of panic or even anxiety, you're practicing these, these techniques before that happens. And you're training yourself to bring yourself back to center, you're breathing, you're using this, this circuit, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you think about what do, what do all professional athletes and musicians do before performance time? They practice. practice. Well, when did we learn as humans to practice getting connected to our awareness muscle, our emotional muscles, our feelings? When did we practice if you asked a Hollywood actor or actress to change from one emotional state to another, could they do it? I would say yes. 
Yeah, in a, in a nanosecond because right. they've practiced thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Right. We haven't been taught what are our core emotions. What are the ones you know that 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 um, motivate us to take actions? What are the ones that hold us back? Why? What's happening in my brain that's causing this disempowering state that I don't want to take action on a goal that I want to achieve? Mm-hmm. Right. There's there's something going on in the brain between the goal and the behavior. And what we are missing and lacking is an understanding of here's what's going on. Here's why it's perfectly normal. Here's what to do about it so that I have more control. I have more personal power and I'm able to take action and do the things that I know I should be doing and could be doing and I actually want to do to enhance my life at every level. Yeah. I mean, it it seems like fear is such a big part of this, such a big part it of is. that that first wall and I mean, you there's mentioned four this things. in yeah, the book. four things. Yeah. Go ahead, you know, the the obstacles. Go ahead and talk about that. Well, there's 50 different types of known fears. There's actually more, but 50 main fears um, that every one of us deals with on a regular basis. But the four things that hold us back is let's say, let's say you have a goal to make um, an extra $5,000 a month or $100,000 a month, or you want to write a book or start a business or leave a job or a person that you're not happy in with. So there are four things that will usually get in our way. It's either one of four, two of four, three of four. It could be four of four. So number one, whenever we want to achieve something, it always is going to get bounced against our self-worth neuromuscle. Do I really believe deep down that I deserve that? Mm-hmm. Do I deserve that raise? Do I deserve mm. that job? Do I deserve to have a successful business? Do I deserve that body? Do I deserve to lose weight and keep it off and draw attention to me? Do I deserve it? Love and if the answer is yes, then we're good on that one. But if there is any uncertainty, right? If there's any uncertainty, I don't know if I really deserve that. If there's any uncertainty, we trigger the fear center. And the fear center is if I go after it, and I achieve it, and then I fail, then I'm going to disappoint myself, and I might be embarrassed, ashamed, ridiculed, or judged. So why the hell even try? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? right? So so that could be a, a circuit that's activated that deactivates motivation. We just don't do it. We're not even aware that we're not doing it because of those reasons. Let's say we want to achieve a goal, uh, and we have a fear of failure because we haven't learned that failure is feedback versus failure is me and my identity. So when we haven't learned how to frame fear in a positive way or failure in a positive way, excuse me, then failure may have a negative connotation in our subconscious mind. And why the hell would I want to feel the emotions of failure Mm -hmm. and disappoint myself or my spouse or brother or sister or mother or father or business partner? I don't want to fail because... I have a negative meaning to it. What if I have a fear of succeeding and losing my friends or succeeding and then failing? What if I have a fear of being judged? What if when I was a kid, I got up in class and answered a question and I gave the wrong answer and a few of my friends who I played with in the schoolyard 
ridiculed me for getting the wrong answer. Do you really think I want to step up in a, in a, in a team meeting and give an answer? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. And so self-esteem, self-worth is one. Fear is another one. What about limiting beliefs? Mm-hmm. What about if, uh, well, I'm too young to, to, to do that. I'm too old to do that. I'm too Asian or Caucasian. Do you know the small town that I live in? Do you know how old I am? It's too late for me to do this. So when we have limiting beliefs, now they are the lens by which we see the world. Now they are the drivers of what we do or don't do because we are driven more by our beliefs than we are than by our desires. Mm -hmm. And so if I have limiting beliefs, why would I ever override a limiting belief? If I don't have a structure for understanding that beliefs and fears and self-esteem are nothing more than patterns in our brain that have been reinforced from the time we were born till now, and that we can actually change the neural networks and patterns and deactivate limiting beliefs, deactivate disempowering habits, deactivate self-esteem issues, deactivate the disempowering patterns using the new science of neuroplasticity, and we could be deliberate, we could be conscious, and we could be aware of how to do that, now I'm being empowered and I can let go of the stuff that does not serve me anymore. We are in an era right now where we can have so much more power because we own the most powerful tool in the known universe, your brain, but it did not come with a user's manual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's why I wrote Inner Size is because I've been studying this for many, many, many years and using it in my own life and in the lives of tens of thousands of students of mine around the world that have participated in our actually hundreds of thousands. Um, and so we, we now know how to let go of traumas. We know how to let go of disempowering fears. We know how to activate motivation. We know how to uh, feel better about ourselves. We know how to release depression or suppression that's holding us back. We, we couldn't be alive at a better time in our history, 107 billion inhabitants of Earth, and we get to bring forth everything we've learned to right now. The question, you know, I'm going to come back to you. Are you are you merely interested in having a wonderful life or are you committed because all the how to is available to you now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's resounding. And I think everyone listening, you know, I'm getting so many messages of people talking about how much this is all resonating for them. And for me as well, I you know, I I get this way, too. And, you know, I think. Do you think, John, that it also has to do with, you know, this sort of creation mechanism of imagined fear, ima- like the the challenge between what is re- real and this sort of imagination part of our brain that is blowing out of proportion, you know, what could happen? Well, of course, our brain is a predictive machine. It's consistently predicting what could happen in the future with the veil of safety first, right? So think about this. A baby on the 20th floor of a hotel, if the window's open, does the baby know that it shouldn't crawl out the window? The answer is no, because it has zero references, 
Now, an adult knows that because they've read about it, seen it, heard it somehow, some way, maybe on television or in newspapers. And so you cannot be afraid of what you don't have a reference for in your brain. Mm -hmm. So our brain is consistently, the biocomputer between your ears is consistently checking and balancing 400 billion bits of information per second from the outside world against what is in the memory bank within your neural circuits, trillions of neural circuits in nanoseconds, billionths of seconds to check and balance information up to half a second before you're even aware of it to let you know is there real or imagined potential danger there. Right. And it sends you the signal anytime either one of those is met with a possibility in your brain. Now, the signal is made for you to be aware, not for you to stop and retreat and move back into safety. If you keep doing that, you will never have control. And if you never have control, then you will never be able to give yourself a command and follow through to completion at a very high level. You'll always be... Um, uh, uh, managed by your fears and your emotions instead of you using your emotions to propel you forward. You can actually take the neurochemistry of fear and use it as fuel. Mm, yeah, but, but you're like a segue you, artist. I, I, that's exactly <laughs> what I, where I was going to go to next is, you know, just shifting this. And my favorite part in your book was when, you know, you talk about the five shifts of inner size and you talk about using fears as fuel for change uh, beliefs as empowering empowering stories using your mindset please continue what were you gonna say well whenever i feel fear now i have learned that my brain's just giving me a signal to be aware of and while that signal is um, going through my body, right, in the form of neurochemicals or electrical neurochemicals, um, I can actually use that extra energy to move towards my goal right after I've analyzed, is this fear real or imagined? And have I mitigated the risk that may be present? So when you feel fearful, uh, or when you're aware that you keep procrastinating and you've taken the time to go, why am I procrastinating? You know, am I afraid of failing? Am I afraid of being embarrassed? Like, why am I procrastinating? What's the real, real, real reason I'm procrastinating? And there's only three reasons we procrastinate. One is decisional, which means I just don't know what to do. So I have uncertainty and self-doubt, which is kicked in my fear center, which means I'm not going to take action. Okay. So decisional. So what do I need to learn? Whose help do I need in order to know what steps I need to take? Great. Thank you, brain. You've just done a great job for me to make me aware that it's decisional. The other one is arousal. There are some people um, who don't take action because they get aroused and do it at the last minute. So that is another reason people may not take action. So arousal, decisional. Mm -hmm. And the other one has to do with self-esteem, self-worth, and, and not believing that we deserve it. Right. 
And so is the fear triggered because I really don't believe that I can or that I deserve it? And if that's the case, then I can say, okay, is this really true? Or is this an old pattern from my childhood that's rearing its ugly head, or even from my teens, or, or, or even beyond that, that's rearing its ugly? Do I really not deserve this? Hmm. Am I really going to allow the fear of failure to hold me back? And if the answer is, yeah, I'm going to allow that to hold me back, so then you say, great, what do I need to do in order to mitigate the risk? Okay. Right Then I can start to use my higher cortical functions of thinking instead of reacting. Now, a lot of people confuse thoughts with thinking. You have 50,000 random thoughts a day, 80-90% of which are disempowering negative ones. Now, they're just coming up from your memory bank, percolating up like little bingo balls, you know, percolating up in those little machines. They just pop, 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 pop. And you, you can learn the skill of just being aware of them and letting them go, being aware of them, letting them go, being aware of them, letting them go, and then choosing the thoughts that you want. But when a serious thought pops up that could have either positive or disempowering ramifications, then in a calm, relaxed way, you can actually think. Is this real? Is this imagined? Is there real danger here? Or is this imagined danger because of my past from my mother, father, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, or whatever? Right. Yeah. Now we're, now we're elevating our humanity and our abilities. And I know some of this sounds complex. And it's complex if maybe it's the first or second time you've heard about it. But once you start to say, okay, I have a brain. I'm not my brain. I can use my brain. My brain's an organism, just like I have a hand and I have lungs and a heart, etc. It's an organism. It's mine. How do I start using my brain better? How do I upgrade my awareness? How do I become more aware of my thoughts and my emotions and my behaviors, my habits? And how do I deliberately start to strengthen my self-discipline, my, my belief systems, my habitual way of being. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's skill building. Yeah. And there, there's, there's so much that we covered about the, the actual awareness part. And, yeah. you know, let's get into the intention and then the action part, because I, I think that's a, a huge part of it. I mean, I, yes, okay, we're going to have these fears. And then eventually you're going to overcome them. Either, you know, Either you're going to or they're going to overcome you. But eventually, hopefully, you're going to get to that point where you're just going to get tired of being afraid, right? And you're going to start to want to do – you're going to do something about it. So how do we get to a point where we're starting to take action on mm -hmm. those goals? I, I want to backtrack for just a second sure. on something you said. Okay. Uh, and that is this. You are never, ever, 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 ever going to stop being afraid when you get out of your comfort zone. So just remember, fear is a safety mechanism that's there to serve you, not stop you. Mm. So what happens is you become unafraid for the next, next task at hand, the next goal that you achieve. And then mm. that becomes your new comfort zone. So mm. no differently than if you're a, a, a diver. You know, you might start diving, you know, off the edge of the pool. 
Then you go to the small diving board. Then you go up to the next diving board, the next one, the next one, the next one. Every time you go to a new level, right. the fear center kicks in. And you just go, okay, thank you. I mm. know what this is. That's perfect. So that's number one. That makes so number, much sense. Yeah, so number two, the visual I want everybody to have is this. What are three simple, easy steps you can take towards any goal you have? Not 10, not seven. Give me three that you can say, okay, this is a little bit uncomfortable, but I can do it. Okay. So a lot of times people are looking for how am I going to do all of this, right? That would be the equivalent of me taking, you know, 50 people that are listening right now and saying, okay, uh, I'm going to teach you how to become a high diver and we're going to go up to, you know, 100 feet and we go, okay, let's start here. I'd have 100 people running away. <laughs> yeah. But if sure. I said, you know, all 100 of you, let's jump into the pool. And if you don't feel comfortable jumping in the pool, can you sit on the edge and then get in? And if you don't know how to swim, let me put a life jacket on you, then let's get in. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, let me get two instructors and a life jacket and a buoy to get you into the water. If I start you with just getting out of your comfort zone a little bit, mm -hmm. I have stretched your abilities. And if I can repeat this with you for a hundred days, now here's the magic, the magic number, everyone. It's actually 66, but I use a hundred. All the latest brain research shows that it takes about 66 days to create a new pattern in the brain that becomes a comfortable new pattern that starts to work without you even thinking about it. So if I wanna lose weight, for example, and keep it off, or if I wanna make more money, if I wanna become better in sales, if I wanna be better at communication or speaking, or whatever the case might, might be, if I can just do a little bit for 100 days, I will deactivate phase one of my fear center. Now, you could usually deactivate it way faster than that, but you can get comfortable with it with 100 days of a little bit of practice. So, so, all of, so there's no action small enough. So even if you can take a little bit of a step yes. towards that goal, uh, even as, if it's small, that is something moves yes. you towards it. Anything that is going to get you out of your current habitual way of being is what you want to do. And so you start off small. If you want to start flossing your teeth uh, and you just haven't done it, start with flossing one tooth every day. If you want to start exercising, you can start with just getting your running shoes and put it next to your bed and do nothing other than that. And then put your running shoes on and then just go for a walk in your apartment or house and then just go outside. The habit is more important than the intensity at first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the science of habits is that whatever you do consistently and repeatedly with spaced repetition is the new habit that starts to develop that overrides a habit that's used to activating automatically without thought. So we can build empowering habits that override disempowering ones or weaker ones. So you're repeating the behavior, however small, added on to maybe your already existing habits until Absolutely. it becomes something that you're used to and normal for you. Absolutely. So you can start, for example, let's say you have a 
a self-esteem issue where you really don't feel you're, you're deserving enough. If you just wrote out an affirmation that went something like this, I'm so happy and grateful for the fact that I am now starting to feel worthy of the success I want. I'm so happy and grateful for the fact that I am now starting to feel worthy of the success that I want. And if you just read that and looked in the mirror, put it up on your mirror in your bathroom and do something that I call brush and prime. So as you're brushing your teeth, just read it and just see if you could just accept it. And you might have a hard time believing it the first day, the fifth day, the 10th day, the 20th day, the 30th day. But by the time 30, 60, 90 days come of you just reading it, and then maybe even starting to feel it a little bit, you'll have imprinted that little affirmation or declaration by reading it, feeling it, and seeing it for 100 days into your subconscious mind. And then all of a sudden, you're going to notice that, oh, wow, you know what? I'm feeling a little bit better about myself. Mm-hmm. So we can use words. We can use emotions. We can use visual aids. We can use uh, a variety of different methodologies to take something that isn't true or real right now and we can impress it into our subconscious mind and start fertilizing that seed and it'll start to grow some roots and it'll start to connect to other networks in your brain and then all of a sudden you'll start having more positive thoughts around, hey, I do deserve this. Hey, I do want this. Hey, I do have a little bit more confidence. So we can start with things that are as simple as affirmations like looking in the mirror and saying, I love you. And even if you don't believe it initially, (laughs) Mm. say it for a hundred days. I promise you, you will start to feel like, well, you know what? I love you. At least you're doing this. I love you. You know what? You're really kind to animals. You know, I love you. You're really a sweet person. You're really a caring person. So, John, so, let me let me bump you. I, mean, I apologize for doing go that. Go ahead. But, okay, so yeah, I love it. Let me give you a, a real world, you know, sample sized example. Okay, sure. You know, we we have a community set up, and there's I don't I don't know like eight or nine hundred people in the community, and we have this this section where we do this you know, daily breathing exercise that we do for a month. And what I've found after running the, you know, running the challenge for, you know, a couple times now is that people get to the middle point or even maybe a third of the way through and the novelty of it wears off. And it just becomes arduous and taxing to do. It's the simplest thing ever. You take three minutes. It takes two minutes to do this exercise. You're just breathing. But, you know, there's something about the, I don't know, can you clarify, please, mm-hmm. you know, why yeah. that might be a wall that people are hitting? So what happens is when we repeat something too often, the novelty wears out. And our brain loves novelty. Our brain loves challenge. Uh, In all of the brain training programs that I've designed for professional athletes, for corporations, for individuals, for clients all over the world, every week we switch it up. So we give them something to do for a week that's repetitive for seven days, and then we go, okay, let's level it to something different, similar but different. So now they're learning something new. Now they can get excited about something new. Now it's novel. Now it's fun. And so when we can switch it up, Uh, It's okay to breathe, let's say, for 30 straight days for three minutes each day. 
But if it were me, I'd say, we're going to breathe for three minutes for week one. For week two, we're going to do a different breathing exercises, and here's the benefit of that one. For week three, here's a different one, and here's the benefit of that one. For week four, here's the benefit of that one. And collectively, when you put it all together, here is the big prize. So now you've developed self, self-discipline. Now you've upgraded your abilities, blah, 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 blah. And so when people get bored, people check out. Mm. And that's when, when we say when people get bored, when brains get bored, brains check out. And so our job as the leaders, the instructors, is to keep people engaged. Right? It's our job to keep people engaged. And it's our job to understand how their brains function. It's our job to do that. And so when we start to mix and match things, when we cause engagement, fun, experiences, et cetera, then we can get people more committed to the outcome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an interesting process because there's so many different layers, you know, like the brain mm-hmm. is almost like an onion. And each time mm-hmm. you Correct. sort of, you know, peel off a layer, there's another layer that you kind of have to address or, you know, establish some sort of rapport with. And I mean, I, I love your analogy of the the diving boards and this sort of set of fear and that fear being a, a sort of constant, you know, and it is a constant it, it, as a survival mechanism. Correct. And it, it makes sense. It fits in the larger perspective of things. So, you know, let's talk about gratitude because this was a big part of your book and something that I believe in a lot. I mean, I I do my best to practice this every day. So let's talk about how important what's going on neurologically when we we add gratitude to all this this whole process. Sure. So, you know, whenever we think of, you know, a person, a place, a thing Um, that we're grateful for, the first thing that's happening is we're activating the dopamine um, uh, neurotransmitters in our brain. So the dopamine neurotransmitters in our brain causes us to feel good. Uh, When we feel good, we're happy. When we're happy, guess what we do? We're, we're, we're really good with other people, with pets, with things that we want to do. So whenever we're talking about gratitude, the neural circuitry of gratitude um, is said to be connected to the neural circuitry of your spiritual self, the mm. higher functioning part of who you are. And, and so when we are in gratitude of life, of breathing, of waking up, of of friends, brothers, sisters, uh, co-workers, an event that took place, the sunshine, the clouds, the, the air that we can breathe, the oxygen and nitrogen and carbon and, 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 um, and you know, the other elements in air. Um, we are activating dopamine. We're activating serotonin. If we share it with somebody else, then we're activating oxytocin, the bond, oxytocin, the bonding neurochemical um, in our brain. And so, when we feel good, guess what we do? We share that goodness with others, whether it's in a smile, in an act of kindness. We are motivated. We want to achieve more. We want to become more. We want to have more. And, and that is really, you know, one of the best things that you can do. We, we want to do more things that make us feel good. Mm-hmm. 
and we want to do less of what makes us feel bad. We move away from things that are, uh, you know, uh, make us feel bad. We move towards things that make us feel good. So why not start and end every day in gratitude? You know, every morning when you wake up, there are people that didn't. Sure. Right? Every day that you put your feet on the ground, somebody didn't. And so why not start with, holy shit, I'm alive. Wow, thank you. Right. Right? And so let's start off with gratitude. And then at the end of the day, you know, what are you grateful for for the day? Like, what worked? What lessons did you learn from the things that didn't? What can you, what can you be grateful for, you know, if you wake up tomorrow? So there's always something to be grateful for. And what happens is, the, you know, everybody knows this and in, in that, you know, we are all made up of energy and all this energy is interconnected, even though we may not see it because we have these hundred trillion cells that are coalesced into the sentient being called a human with a name and a body, right? This is, that's what we call is you. Mm-hmm. Whenever we are, are in this state of gratitude, we are affecting this quantum field that we are all in and a part of. So when we're in a state of gratitude and we have activated a hundred trillion cells in our body that feel the oscillation and the vibration of the neurochemistry of gratitude, we're actually sending a ripple effect into the field. Like when you drop a rock in, in a pond, It doesn't stop where the rock is dropped. There is a ripple effect across the pond. And that's also known as the butterfly effect. And so when we are in a state of gratitude, yes, we feel good and we're that rock. But other people can feel things even when words aren't spoken. And so if we are in this quantum field of energy and we can augment the vibrational um, essence of who we are just with gratitude. We're not the only ones who benefit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's so resounding. I I love that so much. I love how you sort of teased the spiritual aspect of this because that, you know, that's a big part of my life. And I I think, I think the crowd of people who listen to HXP, I mean, it's, it's a big part of their lives as well. So, you know, let me, let's, let's go there. Let's go a little bit deeper on that. If, if we can, let's, you know, let's talk about that connection to our spiritual selves, you know, and I mean, are you, are you someone who believes in, you know, destiny or fate? Um, <laughs> uncertain. I, I, be, I believe in, Um, universal intelligence and everything happens and unfolding exactly how it should. Mm -hmm. And that you and I and our greatest gift is choice. Okay. So I know that there's order in the universe and I also know that there's randomness in the universe. And so I've had way too many experiences to prove otherwise for me. Now, when we talk about you know, the spiritual intelligence, you know, when I look outside and I sit on my deck and I look at the ocean and I sometimes can see the moon, you know, out and the sun out and I'm on planet Earth and we are spinning at dizzying speeds um, around our own axis. 
uh, once every 24 hours and around the sun once every 365 days as the Milky Way galaxy is traveling across space and time at 70,000 miles per hour mm -hmm. as the other uh, planets, you know, are, are, are moving around this sun as well. Um, I can't help but think that there's this unimaginable intelligence that makes it all work in perfect order and harmony. And that intelligence is in me because it created me. So no differently hmm. than, you know, when you go to the ocean, if you took a bucket of water out of the ocean, you took it 5,000 miles inland, mm -hmm. what you have is some of the ocean water. Sure. And so if this intelligence, you know, my mother's egg and my father's sperm vibrating packets of energy called quanta came together and through the law of transmutation of energy and gestation, you know, I was created and within me is all of the, you know, the intelligence since the beginning of time. <laughs> um, yeah, we're all pretty spiritual. That intelligence is within us. And, and the more I can remember that not only is it within me and within you, it is you. It mm. is me. What you call it, I don't care. Water in, in English is water. In French, it's low. In Hebrew, it's maim. In Japanese, it's a different name, but it's the same thing. So the name is really irrelevant. Um, what makes it all work, you know, the, you know we have somehow evolved um, to be the most advanced physical uh, representation of this spiritual intelligence that we're aware of right now. And so why not honor and love and respect yourself knowing that's what you are and that's what every human being is and every plant and animal is. It was created from the source that it does it all. Yeah, I mean, how could right. anything else be true? And I think if, you know, I think if you study quantum physics, I mean, mm -hmm. time and time again, this is being proven true, uh, you know, that everything is linked, everything is connected. And, you know, if you really examine this, it, it, it does, you know, start to fit the picture of, you know, what we're talking about today. And, you know, I, I want to talk about, if, if we have time, I, John, it, if we could talk about, you know, you know, sometimes it feels like we're, you know, here to learn a specific lesson. And maybe those lessons evolve and change through our lives, right? So, you know, what if we are responding to those lessons in different ways? And how can we, you know, how can we learn to adapt to that, you know, possible fear response when those lessons in our lives come up. Does that make sense? Um, I'm a little confused, so I don't understand. I'm, just, I'm, saying, I'm saying that, you know, let's say that there's, there's something that life is trying to teach you, and a next level, a part of your growth that you're trying to level up. And that part of your growth is, it's, it's creating a fear response in you. Sure, okay, got it. So... 
I, I believe and have this, you know, philosophy and, and I've written about this in my, my other, my other books that spirit is always for fuller expression and expansion of itself. So if spirit is looking to expand and express itself to and through us, and we have emotions as part of our physical body, and we have mental faculties, and we have a body with, you know, bones and tissues and organs, then if our physical body and our mindset and our emotions are in the way of our spiritual growth, there is conflict, there is fear. And when we get aligned between our spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical, then we have coherence and harmony. So I call that the SEMP model, S-E-M-P. Okay. Many people are operating life only at the physical level and at the emotional level. And they are forgetting that they are spiritual, they have emotions, they have mental faculties, and they have a body. So hmm. they have the order wrong, in my humble opinion. What if you started operating from a spiritual perspective that there are no accidents in the universe? Randomness, yes, but no accidents. Coincidences only mean when two angles coincide. So everything that's happening, okay, is unfolding as it should. And so there are going to be plenty of opportunities for lessons, and the meaning that we give those lessons are going to determine how we feel about them. Mm-hmm. Right? So now we're learning how to be aware of the meanings that I'm giving things. And so when you ask somebody who's highly successful, you know, what does fear mean to you? Most highly successful people will tell you it's just feedback. It's just something that I, I didn't think the right way or I didn't do the right things but it's not who I am. Mm -hmm. People who haven't had personal development training think that failure is something that is part of their identity, that there's something wrong with them. Hmm. And so so when we're talking about lessons, usually nature gives you a test first and then the lesson afterwards. So Mother Nature gives tests first (laughs) and then the lessons now. Uh, if you are somebody who likes to to study and read and learn from, you know, from whether it's books or great YouTube channels like this one or, or, or you know, other different means of dissemination of information, knowledge, skills, awareness, sure. then you're going to go, okay, wow, I have developed a higher level of skill. When I teach my students... Uh, and I'm not talking about in school. I, I have students who, who share or come to, into our programs. Oh, I say, listen, what level do you want to play the game of life? Do you want to play the level at the kindergarten level, at the grade school level, high school level, university level, pro level? Do you want to make the all-star team? Do you want to make the Hall of Fame? Those are your levels of the game. Hmm. Right? So if you want to play the game you know, at a low level, you are going to be in a lot of pain and discomfort, and you're not going to achieve very much. Mm-hmm. But if you want to level up your skills, your knowledge, your awareness, uh, it's going to take a lot of effort and you are going to fail a lot. Get used to it. Right. That's how you learn. Yeah. You know, you don't become a world famous 
athlete, musician, CEO, entrepreneur, without learning these these mental and emotional and physical lessons. Now you can shortcut some of the lessons with books and with videos and with coaching and mentors and, and, and of course experience. And so, but you first have to determine like what level do you want to play this game at? And we have the health game, the wealth game, relationship game, career game, business game, charity game, spiritual game. Mm. Like, how well do you want to play the game? How good do you want to get? And then are you committed to getting that good? Or are you only committed if it's really easy? Right? And this is where you have to build your tenacity and resolve muscle. This is where you've got to build your resourcefulness muscle. This is where you've got to build your, you know, your, you've got to um, leave your quit muscle somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. John, I love it. We, we're so over time, man. I just, <laughs> I mean, not that we had a time limit, I, but I, I want to, you know, pay respect to how much time we set for this interview. And you know, everyone's kind of like, no, don't end the interview yet. Keep going. So, you know, if, if we could just wrap this all together, you know, we kind of started at the, the, the microcosm and then you know we we started to evolve into this this spiritual connection to our purpose of you know here in the game of life so if you had to wrap this together for you know maybe someone who is struggling with a fear or goal in their life that they just haven't been able to tackle yet what do you if you're talking to that person what do you say to them well first i'll say them you're going to be okay Uh, The first part is to acknowledge that I have these disempowering emotions that are not serving me. And I'm now committed to learning how to manage my emotions better. One of the things that if I if I may, I'm going to ask you for permission, if I can if I can share something about my new book that I did that's different than most books, please. Um, a lot of uh, people, I've got two New York Times best-selling books. I've got my, my new book, Inner Size. And what I've discovered is when I've written how-to books, people read them. It's like, oh, wow, this is great. But they don't follow through to action. So what I did with this book, with Inner Size, is not only did I tell people, here's what's going on. Here's what to do about it. But when people purchase my book on Amazon, um, I'm going to give them eight brain training audios where I will coach them. They're free. They're worth 200 bucks where they can practice with me awareness, managing emotions, um, confidence, uh, focus. And what I've done instead of just you know selling somebody a book and giving them you know a great book is start to practice with me as your mental and emotional and focus coach in your head for the next 30, 60, 90 days. All you got to do is buy the book uh, if you want for I think it's 14 bucks on Amazon and, and then download the audios for free and start to practice so you have more confidence and more self-control and more awareness and more resolve and tenacity. And so listening to somebody like me or anybody else talk or watching them, it's really a great first start. But you have to move from awareness and hope and prayer, and this sounds great, 
to you've got to take action to upgrade your knowledge and skills and abilities. And nothing beats that than practicing something that you want to get better at. For sure. Uh, John, you know, I, I really appreciate your presence and, you know, going over time a little bit here and, you know, all the work that you've done. It, it seems like you've, you know, really done your homework and, you know, you've certainly maintained a level of success and, and that is resoundingly educational for, you know, people who are learning from your work. So, you know, where can people find your website uh, where can people, you said Amazon, the book is available there. What's your website? Sure. The, um, for the book, I recommend people go and read about it at ignitemybrain.com, ignitemybrain.com. And then, um, they can go to Amazon, buy the book and then come and get all the bonuses there. There's a whole bunch of videos that I give them as bonuses and audios. I, I'm going to give them as bonuses. So ignitemybrain.com to uh, find out more information about the book and then go and get it on Amazon. Number two is I'm uh, all over social media. So I have an Instagram following at, at John Asraf and a Twitter following at John Asraf. Okay. And then every Tuesday I do a uh, Facebook live training on my Facebook fan page. Okay. And so uh, they can find me on social media and I've got websites as well for myneurogym.com and johnasraf.com. But let, let's start with a few of them. If we give them more than three, they'll probably get a little, you know, a little, yeah. a little confused. <laughs> so what was the, what's the main one to get to? If we're just going to, you know, give them one, is it myneurogym.com? Myneurogym.com. Yeah. Perfect. Myneurogym.com is the, is the best one. Uh, if, what an episode. The book is called Inner Size, The New Science to Unlock Your Brain's Hidden Power. My guest, John Asaraf. And guys, that's going to do it here at HXP. We will certainly be back next week for another live broadcast. If you're not subscribed to us on YouTube, click subscribe, click the like like button if you want to. Um, One other thing, if you're listening to this via podcast, please get over to iTunes. uh, Leave us a review, positive or negative. Whatever you think about the show, it really helps us stay relevant one of the most common things that I hear from people is why hadn't they discovered our show sooner? So I thank all of you for listening. Without you guys, this would not be possible whatsoever. So if you've made it to this point at the end, thank you so very much. We will be back next week.